Welcome to our Lead to Succeed podcast, where we share leadership and business growth insights, both from our own experiences and that of our guests. We're the hosts. I'm Rebecca Jenkins, founder of Argen, helping companies to grow by finding, gaining and growing the best clients. And I'm Callum, sharing my perspectives from both being an entrepreneur and working in a variety of different companies. Whether you lead a team or a business, you'll find practical tips, inspirational insights and ideas as we discuss a wide range of leadership topics. So with that, here's today's episode. It's a fantastic opportunity to have Marcus Chan with us today. Marcus, a big welcome to you. I'm just going to do a very brief intro. I'm sure you'll want to embellish it a little bit, but let me... Let's just set the scene. You are a sales leader. You help AEs and B2B sales pros earn $100,000 plus per annum. You are a a three-time Salesforce top influencer. You're a real sales professional. You're verified as a top LinkedIn voice. You're author of Six Figure Sales Secrets. You're based in Portland, Oregon. And you are married and you have a son. Just the one son? There's just one son. We are we are easy. One and done, as they say in the States. <laughs> and your business is Venley Consulting. Now, on your website, you've got this phrase that I absolutely love. It says, selling isn't rocket science, but the benefits are out of this world. And I agree with you. So we are really looking forward. Thank you very much for being our guest today. Mm. Would you like to add to that intro? Uh, I mean, you nailed it. Um, I'm excited to be here. And, and truthfully, I'm just a person who's failed a lot in sales. I've made thousands of mistakes. And I just hope to help other people not fall for the same mistakes so they can maximize their comp fund, maximize their earnings, and grow their businesses wildly successfully as well. I did read that on your website that you um, felt you were letting your family down and yourself down mm. when you weren't successful when you first got into sales. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, you're what if you're watching this live or watching this video, you, you know, I'm, I'm obviously Asian, right? And my parents, they wanted me to be a doctor, a lawyer, accountant, uh, something more prestigious as they consider it. So going into B2B sales was the last thing they wanted. But the worst part of all is when I started, I thought I'd be really good and I wasn't. And I almost got fired and that was absolutely terrible. So not only did I not follow the path they wanted me to follow, I was also really bad at the chosen path to begin with. So uh, I remember all those pains and concerns and issues and, and worries I had early on. And uh, fortunately, I was able to channel it and learn from it to, you know, create a career that I was, you know, proud of and able to help myself and a lot of people around me to have success as well. Marcus, it's really awesome to have you on the podcast today. Having, doing pretty much a similar role to you having done in the past, being a, being a B2B account executive, I'm, I'm really interested to have a conversation with you. Um, and I was reading through your kind of career that you've had today, where you talk about having what you just said, being a sort of a failing sales rep to being a regional director of sales at a company that now has, when I last checked, close to 25,000 employees. Um, I wondered if you could just kind of give the audience like a sort of a summary of your career from kind of where you started and how you progressed to, to where you are today. I think that'd be really interesting for, for us to kind of understand in a bit more detail. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, yeah, I think first off, because uh, I have my own business currently right now where I help directly B2B salespeople earn an additional $100,000 or more in commissions every single year. But before this, I actually didn't even want to be an entrepreneur. That wasn't a thing. That wasn't a goal. Um, my parents actually were entrepreneurs that, that immigrated to America do, with absolutely nothing. So they started a small business. So I grew up in entrepreneurship, working in a small restaurant, and I personally hated it because we were working 
80, 90 hours a week, even as a young kid, I was helping out the restaurant, very little money, a lot of pain, a lot of, a lot of suffering. And I was basically broke all the time early on. That's how I felt. So eventually when I graduated and I went into B2B sales, uh, that was my first taste into B2B sales. Um, and I thought it'd be pretty good because I had developed a work ethic over time. I'm like, I could work really hard. I heard if I work hard, and if I'm a nice person, I'm pretty good at these customer service roles, I'll probably be good at B2B sales. Well, I was not. I started in the last recession, 2007, and uh, I tried to go out there, try to knock on doors, try to cold call, try to cold email, and I failed horribly. So um, fast forward a couple months, eventually I figured it out, had some pretty good success, and started hitting number one. And that was nice. And for a few months, it did that, eventually got promoted. Now, fast forward, I was actually with that same company for for four more years, four more years after that at, that, at that point, for four more years, got promoted multiple times to a point where I was leading small teams. And then I decided to make a, a transition to a, a different B2B industry. So I wanted to see, hey, can I, can I do this somewhere else? Can I do this in a tougher, more challenging sale? So I made a transition to a whole new company. And by the way, these are both public trading companies. Both of them are multi, multi-billion dollar companies. Like the first company at the time was like maybe $20 billion, I think at $30 billion now. The second company was uh, $5 billion now. I think they're $8.5, $9 billion now. So join, join these big organizations. Um, but in 2011, I made the second switch to the second company to basically start back over. So I took two steps back to restart back over to see if I could do it again. Did that and uh, rose very quickly to the top again. So uh, within a couple of months, I won the top reps. Within nine months, I became a sales leader again, which it took most people about three years to get to that point. To go over the team that's underperforming, we turned that team around as well. You know, fast forward, ended up, you know, staying in that company for not almost nine years, nine years. Um, and it was interesting because during that corporate career between both companies, about 14 plus years, I actually got promoted in the first eight years. I got promoted 12 times in eight years, um, just, just going up, rising and performing. It got to the point where I was leading a sales organization of 110 plus employees. We we're doing about 200 million plus a year in sales. Uh, that was a lot of fun, a lot of travel, a lot of hard work. Um, uh, but very rewarding. And I learned a lot about um, sales, leadership, influencing, building teams, scaling teams, startups. I learned about all these incredible things about just business that really paved the way for me to be able to eventually start my own business because the current business I have right now, it actually started as a side hustle during this time. It started as a side hustle that eventually just exploding growth. And uh, it was too hard to uh, to not go after this opportunity as I continued to compound success because it got to the point where... Um, I realized making a lot of money is really, really cool in B2B sales, uh, but I wanted more impact. I want to help more people around the world. I want to help, you know, sales professionals. I help a lot of entrepreneurs, business owners grow their businesses as a result. So that's kind of the journey. Long story, long story long, if you will, of how I got to where I was to where I am today. That's a pretty incredible story and a lot of promotions and progress in a relatively short period of time. There's so many things I'd love to dive into, but my first question is from becoming a rep, right? As you said, you weren't performing that well to, to being number one in a few months. Yep. What happened? What, what, what did you do? Well, first, uh, I blamed the world for why I was terrible. Um, mm -hmm. You know, when I was, when I started, when I really started struggling, it really bothered me seeing everyone else around me having okay results while I felt like I was outworking everybody. And I was, I had the highest activity, every KPI metric you could look at the dashboards, I blew everyone out of the water. I had the most cold calls. I had the most door knocks walking to businesses. I had the most cold outreach. I saw the most businesses, um, but I had the worst results. And I blamed my territory. I have a bad territory. Um, businesses were shutting down, like really physically shutting down because of the recession. I blame the economy. I blame politics. I blame my boss for not giving me any training. 
I blame my peers for not being supportive. I blame the company for giving me zero resources. Uh, I blame the company for no marketing because it was a startup division of a brand new, of a Fortune 500 company. Even though it was part of a company, they had no resources. <laughs> um, and uh, so I basically blamed everything. Um, and that really helped me back to begin with. That was the, the first piece. It took, it took a little bit, but eventually I had to look in the mirror um, because I had to look in the mirror and realize, well, ultimately it's, it's up to me, right? Like my circumstances may not be my fault, but still 100% my responsibility to pull myself out of the situation. So that was a, the first step. Once I started owning that, I was like, okay, I need to, like, how can I get better? And this is a different time because there wasn't, YouTube wasn't as big. There wasn't like LinkedIn was still, still out there as well, but like there wasn't like these resources online. There wasn't really the, like, there's a bunch of books you can get at the library and you, you can buy and stuff. That's, all, that's what it was and some conferences. So I started getting books. I started going to conferences. I started investing to myself. I started to acquire knowledge at massive speed. Like I started to obsess about becoming better. And that was the big shift, right? Like I, I, I started, as Jim Rohn says, you know, when you work hard at your job, you make a living. When you work hard on yourself, you make a fortune. So I started working even harder on myself than I did on my job. And I started to translate in different ways, you know? So I remember one of the biggest epiphanies I had was um, as part of my journey into trying to learn B2B sales, trying to really master myself, is I started stumbling upon like these, um, you know, personal development books like Tony Robbins. And I remember specifically one specific line in one of the books, I think it was Awaken the Jack Within. He says, if you don't like the answer, ask a better question. If you don't like the answer, ask a better question. And that was interesting to me because I realized at that point, whenever something bad would happen or you know, deem bad, I would start asking myself a really bad question. So for instance, if I was cold calling and that person would just start yelling and cursing me out or just hanging up, I'd hang the phone up and I'd be like, oh man, you know, that, that dumb prospect, that stupid prospect, there's they, such jerks. I can't believe they're so, so rude to me, so mean to me. And it was very negative. It's like, what's wrong with them? And I was have these negative opinions and thoughts and negative questions that would lead to more negative questions. Then when I read that quote, well, that, that line, I was like, hmm, how can I ask myself a better question? Well, I started, so I started shifting. Well, what can I learn from this? Hmm. Well, I learned that, you know, I should probably have a better prepared list. What else? What, what can I do differently? I could maybe shift my tonality. How can I better prepare for this? I could start preparing objections. So I started shifting from this like internal blaming of, uh, or uh, this external blaming of the world to an internal shift of how can I solve this as a problem? So it was stuff like this, these pivots and learning how to shift how I would think that started to transform my actual results. You know, early on, a great mentor told me, you know, the hardest territory to manage is one right between your ears. And when I started realizing that, that was when some of the pivots started happening because then I could start improving what I was actually doing, what I was saying on the phones, my tonality, how I carried myself, how I prepared, how I researched, all these things. So that was when the start of the shift. And of course, over time, I started getting better and better and better. And I'm also, um, I'm relentless to trying things out. So like if I learn, if I learn something new, if I start getting, if I start starting some improvement, I'll go hundred percent all in to try to make, make, to really master it, to get better and better and better. So we kind of combine those two elements together. It started leading to just results sort of to stack on top of each other like this. So for you then, Marcus, a big shift was your mindset. hundred percent shift in mindset for sure. That was definitely a big, I'll definitely say that's a major piece for sure. Um, I also started realizing there's major flaws in my sales process. 
Um, there was, it was just because I never had any formal sales training. Uh, I did, didn't know what I was doing. Uh, all the books I was reading was from like 19, like 72. And they were showing tactics and strategies maybe worked back then, but didn't really work in a buyer's market. It didn't work in a place where when, world, when people had information readily available on the internet. Um, and and I'm, I actually remember that shift. The, the exact shift actually happened uh, actually at the doctor's office. And it was really interesting because it was a couple months in, I was still struggling still. And, uh, you know, I went to get my, my annual checkup with the doctor. I went to the doctor and, you know, typical doctor's visit. And uh, I remember the, uh, at the very end of the visit, uh, I, my, my doctor basically said, hey, listen, like your blood pressure is going up, you know, like, uh, you know, your, 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 your blood pressure is going up, um, you know, like you're, you're having some, you're like, you gained some weight. You know, you, you have some like some signs that's going to lead down the, the, the wrong path if you don't if you're not careful. I'm like, OK, like that's pretty scary. But so he basically walked away knowing I should change my behavior, which was I was going to eat better and work out more. And I was like, huh. And I remember. But thing, here's the thing. I was excited about these changes she recommended. And I remember thinking that now I'm like, how how am I excited about these changes that she recommended? Then I was like, how did she then I was like, how did she sell me? This is a better question you know, coming into play. How did she convince me, if you will, to do this? And I thought. She didn't convince me. So how did she get me to come to my own conclusions? These were the things I had to do. And I started to really think and I realized in her process, all she did was ask me questions to uncover how I'm feeling, what I'm doing, taking measurements, right? And after spending like 89% of the time just asking more questions, really diagnosing me, her recommendation is really simple. And I realized because she spent 89% of the time diagnosing me, basically asking me questions so I came to my own conclusion on a problem, the solution was really obvious. And then I started realizing the whole process of being a doctor is 100% questions-based where it leads you to, to the same situation, which is before you go to the doctor, if you have a brand new doctor, they have you fill out an online questionnaire or paper questionnaire, breaking down everything about you. And then you go to the doctor's office, you have a nurse come in first, the nurse asks you several questions first, <laughs> you know, uncovering multiple things. They don't tell you what to do next. They, they ask you questions. Then the doctor comes in and asks you more questions. And then they finally give you a potential, you know, you know uh, prescription or diagnosis or whatever it's going to be. And that's how they really sell. And you, you perceive them as a trusted advisor as a result. So when I realized that at that moment, I started, that was my first major shift in my sales process. I started going from this, before I was walking in, asking a couple of questions and then pitching as long as I can until they kick me out and not getting them to buy to walking in, not presenting a single thing, sending 89% asking them questions and then presenting only if they're qualified, the right, right, right person. And I closed way more. And I remember making that shift where uh, I think my first week I closed, like I had gone like seven weeks closing zero deals. And, and at that point, at the end of the seventh week, my boss says he's going to fire me. I think he turned around. Um, so following me, I could close like one or two deals in the first couple of days. And that was like a shock because <laughs> it was that, during that time frame I made, I made that shift. You know, so um, it's those, the mindset shift and really changing my sales process was definitely huge for actually improving my results. I mean, that's a great heading, isn't it? The doctor taught you about sales. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> What would you recommend for our audience here? We've got SME and business owners and uh, you know, people stepping into leadership. What if somebody's stepping into a leadership role in sales? What would you recommend for them? Some practical uh, tips that you might share. 
Mm, good. And, and is it in terms of uh, getting the team to perform at a high level? Yeah. Is that yes? Yeah. Perfect. Beautiful. So, um, you know, fortunately, um, I've, I've taken over many teams. I'm taking over many, uh, many teams are underperforming. And uh, I'll share first what, what not to do so you can see what, what to do as, as a result. So I remember um, about, this is about six months in from starting uh, in that role. First two months, I was at the very bottom. By month three, I had number one, four, number one, number five, number one, number six, six months, number one. I had number one four months in a row. And I started feeling pretty, pretty confident. At that point, my boss said to me, he said, hey, Marcus, you, you've done a really good job. Um, there's an underperforming team. A different operation. We want you. We're gonna want. We want to send you there. Um, but here's the caveat. You know, you've only performed really for four months. We're not gonna promote you, but we want you to run the operation. We want you to turn this this small sales team of two people. We want you to show them what you're doing, and make them success, successful as well. And if you can do that in the recession, we're gonna promote you. So I was like, cool. I had a little bit of chip in my shoulder, right? Because I was really mad that I was I was at the bottom the first two months. I'm like, I'll do it. So um, I remember. Um, you know, I, I had to plan in advance and like, I'm pretty, pretty detailed. So I remember before I started that first, the, the following week, you know, in the operation with two new or not, they weren't even new. They were just their first base their, their manager and their assistant manager had both basically quit because they're doing so terrible. <laughs> so they let the abandoned ship and it was two, two reps left. So, um, I remember that weekend I took all this time and I built out this like 30, 60, 90, 180 day plan, exact strategy, you know, go to market strategy, completely turn the operation around because they were the absolute worst team. And what we're going to do to train, develop, et cetera. And basically everything that I was doing, I wasn't going to show them. So I remember like walking in and I've never led a team before in my life. So walking in, I'm like, hey, everybody, like, listen, I know we've been the worst team. This is what we're going to do for the next, you know, 180 days. And I'm like, you know, we're going to do A, B, C, D, we're going to do all these things. And I remember as I was telling them, um, they, uh, I can just tell they were just not having it. Their body language is like, okay. Like I was also much younger than them as well. So, you know, I was 21, 22 at the time. And they were about 30 at the time and 30, 31. And they're just, I can just tell they're not having it, uh, but they don't say anything. They're like, okay. I guess about the fa- their expression and in my, in my stomach, I'm like, that didn't really go so well. And I remember, um, going home that night to my apartment. And, and talking to my girlfriend, I'm like, I don't think I'm cut for this leadership thing. And she's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, wow, you know, like, like I think I'm better at sales. Like, I, 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 did, I did pretty well. And now I'm trying to run this team. Like, I was trying to explain to them. Like, they, they, they see me on leaderboards. They see me in every awards. And I'm, I'm, I'm the guy that at the top. They should be, like, listening to me. She's like, wow, they listen to you. I'm like, well, I've been on the top. She's like, it doesn't matter. They don't care. Like, did you ask what they thought? I'm like. Well, well, no. Did you ask them what maybe they thought the the the, the operation can do better? I'm like, well, no. I'm like, huh. I guess uh, you're right. So the next day, I came back. I I huddled them and I apologized. And I apologized. I'm like, hey, listen. Like, I came in like just really hot. Like, oh, here's the truth. I'm really insecure. I, I frankly wanted to like make a good impression. Like, I want to like turn this team around because like you know. You know, Bill said, if you do a good job with this, eventually promote me. And I don't, didn't want to let him down. Like, I just, I didn't want, to, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know what we should do. What do you guys think? And it was interesting because it almost like that, like that just like kind of released the tension and they had some great ideas. And what was interesting. So over the next couple you know, weeks, I started really observing what was going on. We started collaborating together 
and we started coming to get some new plans and they were different than what I initially had planned as well. Some were similar, some were different. And within six months, we became the top operation and we continued to compound every single month. And I, I stayed actually to number one, even the new territory, I say number one every single month and they were number two, number three. And the, the learning here is you can always, you can always have an idea of the plan or strategy, but if you are taking over a team, the first thing you want to do is you need to, similar to the doctor diagnosis situation. So you need to earn their trust and you need to diagnose the situation. So I knew it didn't matter my background. Um, I still need to earn the trust every single day because they had, they also had, because, it, because of the market, everyone knew each other. They, I developed a reputation, right? For good or bad. And sometimes when they see you run a certain way, they have a perception how that's how you will do everything. So they saw me as go get a hard charging sales rep. They thought I would lead that way. They thought I'd be a micromanager and all these things. So you want to go in, you want to earn their trust, and you want to uncover what's really going on and, and diagnose from there. And then based off of the middle strategy from there, if you do that, you'll be much more effective. But more importantly, you also have better buy-in because ultimately I knew we couldn't hit our, our team number by myself. I knew I couldn't do that. I mean, possibly it'd be very, very hard. So I knew if I could leverage them in a good way, if I get them bombed, bombed to me and to the plan, then they would be successful as well. And you start realizing that selling and influencing are very, very similar. Yeah. And your ability to influence your team is really important. And that's whether it's influencing down, laterally, or upwards. If you can influence at all angles, you'll be able to, to move your career forward much faster as a result. Thank you for sharing that, Marcus. And I was almost thinking as you were talking us through that, you just needed to listen to his doctor again and apply that. To I should listen. To, you're right. The doctor was right. The doctor was right. Yeah. What would you say, though, for, um, say, a, a director of a business, a founder of a business, they don't have a sales background and they are, say, they're very good at engineering and they've built an engineering business. They've got some sales team and they just they're not sure. They didn't think the sales, well, the sales team aren't performing. So from a different angle, what would you what would you say? What would be the key things that you think um, a founder should look at when they don't have a sales background? Mm, great question. So, um, well, the, the the cool part is what I love about engineers, um, or really anybody, even if they're not an engineer, is before you, if your team is not performing, um, I think the mistake many people make is they create a hypothesis in their mind of why the team's not performing. So, for example. Uh, they might be like, well, it's just because they're they're just lazy or they're not working hard enough or they're not making enough calls, they're not doing whatever. And that could be true. We, we don't really know. Um, but the very first thing you want to do if you don't have this in place is you want to instill control systems that give you data on the, act, on the metrics of what is most important. So this way you're able to look very quickly on where the constraint is in the business. So for example, like I like I like to look at it from from the from the very top all the way to the very bottom. So if 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 the founder or the business owner uh, or the director does not have some places, the first thing I immediately recommend having places that you put in the immediate system for tracking. So for example, start at the very top. How many like what type of leads are coming in every single day, right? If, if there's no leads, that's okay, but that's that, that tells you a lot right there. Like if there's no inbound leads that potentially might be a constraint to the business, right? On top of that, if there's no inbound leads and then nobody's closing, that could also mean, well, like, are you hiring the right profile? Like, are you hiring inbound reps versus outbound reps? Like, 
we had, when I started, there was zero marketing. It was hundred percent pure cold outbound. Mm. Like there was no inbound leads there. The CRM had no, no leads inside. <laughs> we, we had to go and get everything. Right. Yeah. So you learn how to create out of nothing. Um, that had not, not many reps can do that. So you have to hire a certain profile for that. So, so understand that. So look at the constraints. So first off, you know, what's the inbound lead flow. Okay. What's the conversion, right? Are, are the inbound book calls? Is it going to be outbound? If you also say it's outbound, I'll say that from outbound. Cool. Like how many, uh, how many outbound calls are making? What's like, what's the connect rate for the calls? What's the conversion from, um, from like, you know, connect to a book calls, right? What's the show up rate from how many scheduled calls to how many show up? What's the show up rate? From show up rate from like, from, let's say if it's, if it's a simple discovery to demo to close and I'm, I'm oversimplifying it. You know, what's the uh, discovery to demo conversion, right? Meaning how many, like, you know, how many discovery calls did you run and then how many will convert to a demo, right? And then from there, how many from a demo convert to a proposal and, and the proposal to closed? And you, you, you measure all the conversions so you can see where the gaps are in the sales process of skill, right? So that in, if there's gaps in the, in the sales process, it may mean either training and developing coaching. That could, be, that could be it. It could also mean, like, do you have the right players on the team? That could be part of the battle too. Because if you hire the wrong people, that doesn't really matter. Like, you know, if you get the best product in the world, if, it, if you don't have, you know, if they, can't, if they don't know how to do, if they don't know how to do what they need to do, that's a problem as well. So you start to find the constraints are of the business. Once you know what the constraints are, then you can focus on actually improving those specific things. That's how you start actually improving the game as a whole by scaling the team. So let me give you a really, really simple example. So, you know, and I, I like to look at a, a, a scale, like where are the constraints are on the business? So when I first took over the, the team, um, this is in 2007, one of the media constraints I observed because there was no inbound lead flow. In fact, at the time, I didn't know what an inbound lead was. I, 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 it was kind of strange. I didn't know what it was because I'd never done B2B sales before. I didn't know that was a thing until four years later because I was so used to outbound. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember coming to this team and, you know, we're going to do a call block. And I'm like, and I'm, I'm just like observing, like, what are they doing? They're not making any calls. And I'm like, huh, why are they not making any calls? Don't anybody call them. Oh, then anybody call them because they didn't generate the leads. You know, how did, how would they generate leads? They weren't. <laughs> so I'm like, interesting. Okay. So I'm like, that's a constraint in the business. I'm like, this is a constraint. Like, how can we close deals if we don't have leads? So let's go get some leads. Right. So that was, that was the first, first plan of attack. So that, so the, the moral story is you take a step back, you look at the whole sales process complete cold to close, you identify the exact constraint, and then you solve for that constraint. And this is actually something every business leader, everybody should be doing every single day, every single week. Because when you, when you can observe those, those pieces to the puzzle, you can identify, this is a loose screw, tighten this, this is loose, tighten this, this is loose, tighten this. And you start to actually focus on improving based off data versus feelings. Yeah. I'm sure as an engineer, they'll, uh, they'll love that suggestion, Marcus. Kind of know your numbers and, and, and go from there. Um, I'd love to dive a bit more into the, the leadership side of things. I think going from you know, being a rep to managing a team of basically 110 employees with 11, 11 direct teams underneath you as the regional director of sales. I'd love to kind of understand just sort of what you've learned about leadership being in, in that position. Mm. 
So that was really, that was interesting shift. When you go from like leading a direct team to leading uh, leaders or leading teams, mm. I realized how little control I had. Um, because when I, when, when you have a direct team that's reporting to you, like that you're talking to you all the time, you have a little more control on helping them. You have, you're closer to, you're closer pulse to, to, to what's going on. Cause you're in the trenches with them. When you start going upstream, you start getting disconnected and you start realizing, and I started realizing those flaws in the system. So for example, one of the flaws I realized was, and I had the same epiphany when I, when I started leading teams, which was when I went from rep to leader, I'm like, nobody, nobody really does the way I do it. Huh? And that was kind of a shock to me. I just kind of thought everyone said what I did. And when I, when I went from, um, you know, a leader to a leader of leaders, it was the same thing. I'm like, huh? I'm really just like, nobody really does what I was doing as a leader. No wonder I beat them all out. I mean, it sounds, sounds terrible, but I'm like, they weren't doing anything. About the, I thought it was the fundamentals. The fundamentals of good leadership. So um, I started realizing that. So, so when, I, when I started taking over, I'm like, okay, I need to start instilling some things in place. So first off, I started instilling like specific SOPs and protocols for how I ran things as a leader and started teaching them how to be a leader. Like how to actually not just manage, but actually lead teams. How to, how to, how to like... How to lead people, but manage processes. The mistakes that men that were making when they're trying to manage their people. You don't manage people. You lead them, but you have processes in place that you can manage, right? So that was really important. So I started instilling these things, started teaching them how to do that. Um, and that was really key. Now, I also started observing across the board. Another big learning was how I would onboard reps onto my sales team as a sales leader. It was very different than how everyone else was doing it. So even though there's a company kind of playbook, most 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 reps on other teams would take about so the, the average was it took 158 days to open a requisition to get them performing so higher performing uh, at an okay level so that's basically seven almost seven months that it takes from, from open rec to hiring so that, if it takes from two two months to hire four and a half months to even ramp up to get to that, that speed i was my my ramp up time was about half the time and it's because i had reconstructed and broken down the, the, the constraints and the onboarding process to be way more efficient, more effective. And I realized, I'm like, oh, this is a huge opportunity. So I started, I started teaching them how to do these things as well. But I also realized they would still not, uh, they still be able to play, uh, implement the same way I, I was able to. So I had to start in, implementing new like systems in place to help onboard remotely. So this is before like online trainings were things, before virtual trainings were a thing. So I started doing virtual trainings as well. I also started to adjust my schedule to actually be in the market early on to be able to spend time with them and train them as well. And start implementing different things as well to that, that would give me like signals if someone was struggling. So it was really simply nothing crazy. So for example, you know, some people, some, some teams didn't do this. Uh, they're outside my region, right? They thought it was maybe overkill, but I was, uh, I was fastidious about this because this gave me a pulse into the mind of the new hire, because the first 90 days is the most critical of a new hire. In those first 90 days, they are deciding, do I want to even stay here? Can I do this job? Do I believe in myself? Do I believe in this company, in my leadership team? So it was really simple, but I would, I would have every single new hire within the first 90 days. I'll say at the end of each week, all I want you to do is send me your top five learnings in an email. In a, in a Google Doc, I don't even care. What's your top five learnings from the week and how will you apply it? It's really simple. But I'm like, in order, but I'm like, in order to do it, here's what I want you to do. Really simple. All I want you to do is every day, just write down five things you learned 
and how you apply just really quickly somewhere. And at the end of the week, you'll 25, just pick your best five big, biggest takeaways. So what happened by doing this is I'll be able to read this and I'll be able to read their emotions, their thoughts, what was going on. So I could catch concerns, issues, add in reinforcements for training, add more support. So these are the things I started realizing I had to do to help support the rest of the team. What I also learned, this is a big aha for me personally, was I realized, and I should have known this, but I wasn't prepared for leadership. I wasn't trained. I wasn't developed. It was like, good luck. Happened in my last company, happened in this company as well. And it was the same thing as well. And, and this is why basically some of my managers, they were just really good reps. I got promoted. <laughs> you know, that's all it was. And that's why they were their team was struggling because they, they didn't have the same skills required to effectively influence and develop high-performing sales teams. So when I realized that as a constraint to my growth as a business, because when you have to deliver a nine-figure number every year, you know time is always against you. So I had to start thinking five, 10 years out. So I started to build out training. I built in, they already had a program called Captain's Club, and that was designed to like help develop the future leaders. But the way it was run by most people was, okay, here's a book for the month, read the book. And then, you know, then you'll like, then uh, we'll talk about it a month later. That's, that's a waste of time. Instead, I turned into an actual curriculum. I built a fully comprehensive curriculum where every single month I would, I would bring on the captains and had to, they had to interview and apply for it to be part of my captain's team. I, I, I would um, teach them different things. For example, how do you read a and a profit and loss statement, analyze it, and make strategic business decisions based off that? That's actually really relevant. So I'll teach them how to do these things. I give them homework. I'm like, hey, I want you to go now, and I want you to go and sit down with the general manager, the, the ops part of the business, and have them walk through the same thing and tell me what you learned, right? Or hiring and recruiting, same thing. I teach you exactly how to, how to hire, not just put a requisition, how to actually, how to use LinkedIn Sales Navigator, build a hyper-targeted list of profiles you want to go out and recruit for and start outbound messaging to recruit them on your team. Yeah. How to build a winning culture. So all these, so I've done all these things that I just didn't realize. But there was a few learns I, the, the, right, right there that was really critical for me. That I, when I was stepping on the role, I'm like, if I don't fix these, I'm gonna fail terribly. So I learned how to fix them, and then I'll be able to teach other people too. Well, there's a lot in that to uh, to reflect on, Marcus. Thank you. And yeah. <laughs> one of the things that amazes me is the number of sales people that don't use LinkedIn. I mean, it's just such a brilliant tool to to use and connect and engage with people. As we come to a close, what is has been your biggest leadership challenge and how have you overcome it? Because we know that people love to hear about difficult situations and how you came through them. And once you've shared that with us, please just um, talk about how people can get, best get in touch with you. Mm. So I would say... Um... You know, in, I don't have a specific, I mean, I have plenty of specific ones, but I think the most, probably the most relevant one, I would say it's, it's, it's in every role I've ever been in. I find the hardest, one of the hardest things to do as a, as a leader, because you, you, you wear a lot of hats, frankly. I mean, you, were, you have to do a lot as a sales leader, uh, as a founder, you're, you're trying to do all these things. But the normal hardest thing is, is always going to be um, hiring, like recruiting, hiring and retaining top talent. That has always been the toughest thing um, because there's a lot of people out there and a lot of people kind of talk a big game and you can do your best about the mouth, but until they actually show up on the role, 
or into, into that role, it's really hard to determine that. And the, that 1% dime in the rough is so hard to find. And I have personally have done literally thousands of interview interviews. Like I used to hire 30, 40 new reps every single year. <laughs> so it was, it, you just realize like finding talent is so hard, but also retaining talent. So if you can find really good talent, but then do your best to retain them, but not just retain them, but actually grow and develop them, that becomes wildly powerful. Like for example, the sales work I took over, we used to run about 50, 60% turnover. So meaning higher 10, five or sixes would make it. And I was able to reduce it down to 19% turnover. But if you think about that, even 19% turnover, that means you hire 10 people, two people aren't going to make it by the end of the year, which is still like, that can be hard for the business. So if you know that to be true, you always have to make sure you have a really, you always have to make sure you have a really good pipeline of candidates ongoing. You always have to be constantly hiring, constantly interviewing, look on, on the lookout for great talent. You have to be, you become a master at collecting talent <laughs> and then trying to keep them with you for as long as you can to develop them. So that's probably my biggest challenge. Now, uh, to, in terms of finding me, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, YouTube, pretty easy to find, or you can head over to eventlyconsulting.com, get more information about me. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure to have you, Marcus. Thank you very much for sharing all your wisdom, your experience, and your extensive sales knowledge with us. Callum, anything from you to wrap up? No, Marcus, thanks very much. It sounds like really interesting here, your kind of career and journey as, as you progress from starting off from being a rep to being a leader of a large organization in sales and the kind of challenges and learnings that you've had along the way. And uh, I'm looking forward to following up and reading your books and uh, looking at content afterwards. So yeah, a big thank you for me. Hey, thank you so much. My absolute pleasure. Great to meet you too. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And as always, if you enjoyed it, we welcome a review. And if you have any questions and like to get in touch with us, you can do that at the RJN, RJEN, .co.uk website.